Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture, urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent now. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No selling shit from the front ever. No smell of stale coffee, bin gay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully also education. And if you enjoyed this podcast, come on, man, it's a free podcast. Give it a like. If you haven't already, rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever app. And I do want to thank, I checked today, the 13 people that rated it. Thank you so much. So all five star ratings. I didn't expect that. I think I have some uh, room to grow, but thank you for rating it and taking the time because I know iTunes does not make that easy. So if you have any questions or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram and Snapchat at Jeremy Burgess. And yes, T minus two weeks. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. You can now start watching these with a lag on YouTube as well. Legal disclaimer. Sorry, folks. It's not me. It's the way of the world. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment and or an investment decision, you contact a lawyer or an attorney or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. All right. Show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investors show quote. I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. This week's quote, don't tell me the sky's the limit when there are footsteps on the moon. And that's anonymous that I couldn't find who said it, but I love it. Don't tell me the sky's the limit when there are footsteps on the moon. And let me introduce you to my guest, David Brooks, this is a little long and I didn't write it, so that's why it's going to sound so great, but uh, I shortened it a little bit. He's just done a lot. So David Brooks III, former owner of Brooks Real Estate Group, which specializes in selling distressed, bank-owned, foreclosed, residential, and commercial properties, has expanded into regional online and live real estate auctions as an auctioneer for lastbidrealestate.com. David has taken 25-plus years of experience and passion for the real estate a step further by now using both the live and online auction methodology. A Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, Michigan native, Brooks learned about the real estate business from his father. After graduating from high school in 1987, during his first full year selling real estate, he sold more than $1 million in properties, and that's back when a $1 million was more like a $1 million in the Grand Rapids area. Now that it's not big now, but you know what I mean. Buying his first house at age 19, Brooks promptly sold it on a land contract and never looked back. By age 24, he was an independent real estate broker. Remax recruited him as a franchisee in 1998. And in less than three years, he had 40 plus agents. He realized the potential with the foreclosure crisis and decided to specialize in in foreclosures early in 2001. So he got way ahead of it. In 2008, as the housing bubble burst, he founded Brooks Real Estate Group as an independent broker. The foreclosure market spiked and he was averaging 400 to 500 closings annually. 
Brooks opened a second office in Novi, Michigan in 2010, and by 2012, he moved to southeastern Michigan, where he now currently resides, living in downtown Detroit in the gorgeous, by the way, historic David Whitney Building. And we're doing this right now at the David Whitney Building, which is awesome. Since moving to Detroit region, David has become very active in the community. In 2013, he became a member of the Detroit Athletic Club. And if you go there in the morning, you will see him swimming his ass off 10,000 to 12,000 yards per week. Damn. And running the Quinder cut two to three times a week. And if you see him in person, you'll, you'll understand now why he looks the way he does. Lastbidrealestate.com is conjunctively organized under the umbrella. And how do I say that? Is that Medema? Medema. I should ask before. Medema Asset Management Group, along with six other auction companies. For over 31 years, Medema has formed seven different companies to meet the diverse demands of asset management solutions for their clients while providing auction services in all 50 states and bidding activity from over 150 countries. It's a real deal, folks. Founded in 1984, the company has established itself as the premier auction, one of the premier auction companies in Michigan, winning numerous awards while auctioning thousands of properties. He's also, by the way, Something that always impresses me, an author. He wrote Online Real Estate Auctions, Tomorrow's <laughs> Technology for Today's World, and I couldn't get it here in time or I would have read it, so I apologize for that. So you should definitely check him out, and I'm going to bait the hook a little bit too. So check him out. Go to linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash David Brooks the third. That's three eyes, And definitely go to lastbidrealestate.com. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more somewhere in the middle towards the end of the podcast, or I don't know where we get to it, but I want to bait the hook. For those of you interested in investing in some commercial properties, he has some he's auctioning. You might be interested. He does it online and live. So we have Pennsylvania Road Absolute Auction. This is going to be sold June 14th, and all the links are in the show notes, folks. The former Michigan Department of Transportation Building, 25185 Goddard, Taylor, Michigan, June 14th. A Sunoco gas station, 902 South Dort Highway, Flint, Michigan, June 15th. And a Marathon gas station, 1413 Flushing Road, Flushing, Michigan. And that is also on June 15th. All the links are in the show notes where you can click through, see the pictures, all that. And I'm sure we're going to talk about them. Uh, sometime during the podcast, but I wanted to bait the hook. So, you know, the, the hang around if you're interested in, uh, thank you, wife, uh, if you're interested in that. So welcome, David. Thanks for coming. Woo. <laughs> what a great place to be at too. So for, for those listening, if you're watching on YouTube, you're going to see we're in the historic, gorgeous, I might add, David Whitney building, completely redone. And it was your idea for us to come down here because I think you have an office here. Or you, you're going to live here soon, aren't you? Well, this is the center of my universe here, the Detroit Athletic Club. So, uh, And then I'm uh, now married, so I, I have a very short commute, which is 15, 20 minutes uh, down I-94 in Harper Woods. But um, So I work out of uh, this building, out of the apartment here. Uh, which, by the way, these are going to be available for sale. Uh, everything's condo. So as soon as the tax credits fall off, 2019, mark your calendar. You can purchase one of these um, gorgeous, gorgeous. Is there a way to units. get on the short list? <laughs> <laughs> the best way is to make sure you have the right of first refusal and move in. So, um, yeah, a little history about this building. It was vacant for 14 years prior to reopening last year. 
in January, 14 years, they had uh, about 90 squatters in this building. Hard 90? to believe, yes. Oh, my God. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. And this, uh, uh, but what, what makes this building so unique, uh, I wish we could walk around and just see the marble um, handcrafted from Italy. All this opulent um, infrastructure here pretty much was, it, this is all 1920. So this is all the roaring 20s. Detroit was the Paris of the Midwest. And then, of course, you know, the stock market crashed and down from there. But there were more skyscrapers back then in 1927-28 than we see right now today. That's just so crazy, isn't it? I I heard that, and I'm like, that can't hardly be believable. Then you look, you're right, there were. It's a crazy thing. It's an amazing thing. I will um, take a bunch of pictures, and I'll put it in the show notes so people who are listening, you'll be able to go through, click through, and see a bunch of pictures of the David Whitney building. So I will take some. As you were talking about, they'll be able to go through and Great. click through and look at it. And this is actually um, one of the places G and I stopped at on our 10th anniversary uh, oh, this year. Okay. okay, She loves this kind of stuff. That's why I was so grateful for you uh, supporting the Michigan Masterminds. Cause she loves coming downtown. She loves doing all this stuff. It was up to me. I would just work all the time. We sat you know? at the same table and, you know, and then how how serendipitous for this opportunity to sit at the same table yeah, twice, twice. And the yeah. second time I was like right next to you. So thank <laughs> you. Keystone house, by the way, if Absolutely. you haven't already Michigan mastermind real estate. Is it Michigan, Michigan real, real estate mastermind. So we now have a down, a downtown luncheon, a quarterly luncheon uh, held at the Detroit athletic club. You don't have to be a member of the DAC to attend. Uh, if you go to Eventbrite and if you put in Masterminds, Michigan Real Estate Masterminds, you'll see our uh, upcoming uh, qu- uh, quarterly luncheons. Uh, the next one is August 7th, 6th, 17th or 18th, August 17th. And then uh, the uh, uh, guest speaker for that one, the keynote speaker is Dan Carmody. He's the CEO of Eastern Market. And that's uh, here down the road uh, off of Gratia, that is a footprint that is about to expand and explode. They're adding residential development um, and uh, adding about 120 to 150 acres to Eastern Market. So um, if you have the opportunity, definitely come to that luncheon. It's open to everyone. Go to Eventbrite, check it out. Then our uh, last luncheon this year is going to be back at the DAC. That's going to be November 16th. And we have a panel of, of uh, a lot of real estate gurus. Um, some of the people who are very instrumental in the district, if you're not familiar with uh, the Detroit district, this is where the new arena is being built, which you can see f- out the window, if we we're up on the yeah. 11th floor, you would be able to see it. Your view is going to kick ass in 2019, <laughs> David. It's yep. going to be amazing. <laughs> well, right now you can currently see Comerica Park, which there's a ball game going on right now. And then uh, Ford Field is also in walking distance. And then the new uh, Little Caesars Arena, which is that's the official name. That's opening next year, 2017, September. So just a lot of great things happening right here ton of great things and by the way i already bought my ticket as soon as it pops up now for the dac and i'll just boop I'll just plug it right in we yeah. just went and bought it you should definitely go folks they've I'm sold talking. out these people are serious yeah they've sold out and yeah. um I'm, I'm sure that you enjoyed uh greg 
uh, McDuffie. He that was awesome. just just really. I love both you, of them. Yeah, yeah, I love both. I this is so serious. This room is filled with serious people. It is not your normal networking. No, it isn't. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with normal networking. I'm just saying this is different. This is a deal. Yeah, yeah we're heavy talking, hitters, yeah. big people, yeah. serious shit. Good conversation, good knowledge, amazing. Both times I went, I was blown away. So highly recommended, highly recommended. As a matter of fact, we had the owner of the building, of this building, David Dorita. Yes. He was the keynote speaker for the February luncheon. He blew me. I literally <laughs> went and took my first CCIM course after that. Cool. I was like, what am cool. I doing? I need to sell bigger shit. Like this guy's sitting around for like 10 years trying to wait for something to happen. I'm worried about what's happening this quarter. Yep. It no. blew me away. I'm like, yep. I am thinking way too small. Yeah. So, well, you know, there's three types of people, people who make things happen, people who watch things happen. And then people say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to make some things happen with some more zero. So well, let's go back 19. Your dad got you interested in real estate. How was he in real estate or, or how did he get you interested in real estate? My father worked at General Motors and uh, just a hard worker, uh, graduated uh, from Muskegon Heights, so not the Heights, I'm sorry, Muskegon Big Reds in 1957. And uh, there was just a lot of just um, a lot of people with common sense <laughs> back then. And uh, he gave me just a bunch of common sense. And he also gave me the work ethic and the drive that I have today. And so um, I just, uh, he, he was working at GM and then he started buying properties in the early 70s. He built um, one of the uh, first houses that I, that I grew up in in 1972. He built it uh, out in the west side of the state in Grand Rapids, Michigan in the suburb. And so he was always in real estate and 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 so um from that point on and then i just followed him so yeah. uh every saturday i mowed the uh, you know the lawn at all of his rental properties and then when i was um job labor has made a lot of great <laughs> americans you, you know and you it's know, different it really has so check this out in the eighth grade he gave me the the very first house that had a paint this is a this is a two-story flat and um you know, now I go by and I'm like, wow, that house seems so tiny. <laughs> but back then it was just gigantic house. And he gave me 200 bucks to paint the entire house. And uh, then at the end, uh, he, after getting paid, he turned around and made me buy my school clothes. <laughs> and, <laughs> Smart man. And then I had a little bit of money left over. And back then, you know how the boom boxes were real Ooh, big. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got me a boom box. So I, I was, had one of those too. I was a bad man. <laughs> so, uh, so just from a very early age, I was in a class. And I remember this vividly. I was in the eighth grade. I told someone, my best friend, Leon Bridges, back then, I said, I'm going to be a real estate broker. So it's, it's, it's just crazy um, how, you know, dreams can come to fruition. Um, and, and, you know, he's my testimony. This is the reason why I'm in real estate. So he never told me to get into real estate, but he told me to be independent, make my own path, be self-employed. And so two days out of high school, I started my pre-license training. I got right into real estate and... Um, my first full year at the age of 19, uh, I, I just jumped right into it. Right into it, too, because a million dollars, I'd have to go and look and see, but a million dollars back then has to be four or five million dollars now, at least. It was the average money, right? Yeah. And, and, and Grand Rapids, this is, I was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is, you know, two and a half hours to the uh, northwest of here. And 
the average price was $35,000 back then. This was the median. Yeah, the median houses. The median price. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, and Grand Rapids was the fifth most affordable market in the United States back in 1987, just as I was getting into it. So just talking about real estate and appreciation. Nuts, of course. A lot of people may have heard about Grand Rapids. If you haven't, it's, it's just a, it's one of the best um, kept secrets. Guess who just moved to Grand Rapids? Uh, if you look it up, Jim Carrey. Okay. So, there you go. Yeah, just, just a big, small town in the Midwest where you can kind of go and get lost. <laughs> Do you know what the median house price is now? I know what it is for, for Detroit, it's, but I don't know what it is for Grand Rapids. I, don't uh, I haven't looked it up, but I'm going to throw out a number of probably about 160. Yeah, so that's at least, yeah, at least four or five. That's crazy yeah, yeah. how much. So that was like... That's that was, a fair number. Do you remember how many yeah, transactions you yeah, first year? Oh, oh, I thought you were going to tell everybody what my age was now. Well, you can do 19, the math. Right. <laughs> you can do the numbers. Um, the number of transactions back then, I want to say it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, I don't know, 20, probably about 25, 30, some, I, I don't know, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, your um, first year. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so, good. Yeah, just um, very blessed. So now on to the next, on to the next greatest thing. Yeah, so... Do you remember what brokerage you joined back then? I mean, it doesn't really matter. Westdale Better Homes and Gardens. This is okay. a Better Homes and Gardens franchise. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, you did something right because it wasn't. How long did you do that before you you were recruited? Well, right? I didn't get serious until I was twenty four. I, I always say, you know, didn't I, get serious. I didn't get serious until I was twenty four. <laughs> but uh, so well, a shit ton of houses. You didn't get yeah. serious till twenty four. Well, the, I'm only just starting. So <laughs> This is what's funny is I always say, you know, I had a scholarship to go to Grand Valley State University also, which I took a year later and it lasted a semester. I said, I can't do this. You know, I've got a house. I'm doing this. all. I'm selling real estate. I cannot see myself in a geography class. Right. So um, kind of you, you said, well, how did I get into real estate? It's yeah. definitely my my father, my background. Um, so what I did. Uh, when I was 18, um, I traded my car in. Oh, I had a sweet Cutlass Oldmobile Supreme. It was black. Oh, I wish I would have kept that. But anyway, I didn't. So I traded in, got something a little conservative. I bought three suits. I bought a black suit, a brown one, and a gray one. <laughs> and um, I went door knocking. And um, my background, my parents are Jehovah Witnesses. That's so, old school door knocking. <laughs> so you were prepped already. So I was already prepped. I was already, you know, ready to door knock, right? I'm here for God. Yeah, now I'm yeah, here for yeah, money. Yeah. Do you need to so, sell your house? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, just kind of interesting, you know, how that all came about. So um, it, was, it, was, it was a natural. And then, you know, my parents, uh, you know, very outgoing. Um, and, and I was giving public uh, speeches and talks at the age of like 10 and 12. So um, I had a real good uh, background, real, real good upbringing. How did you end up in a position to be recruited um, for a Remax franchise? Well, I had an office in right outside of downtown um, Grand Rapids, and it was in a historic district. It was in an up-and-coming area. And I um, started adding a few agents. And then what happened is I, I was introduced to the Remax system, I can't remember exactly who I spoke with, but um, I got a call from one of the franchise owners and came out and he visited with me. And uh, I just kind of latched on to the system. I, you know, initially, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to have a bunch of agents. And then as I started thinking about it, I said, well, it makes sense to have that as an additional revenue source. 
Um, and that's how I got started. Now, the interesting thing is um, I didn't make any money from the Remax franchise, but I learned how to sell my ass off. You didn't make any money doing that? It, it was it was a break-even. The Remax system is kind of different because okay. it's a pass-through, different than Keller Williams, so it's almost like a co-op. So um, you've got, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a balance of how you run your office, but um, what I found out is you, you make the most money in sales, yeah. and uh, when you have a lot of salespeople around you, um, there's someone always trying to negotiate you out of your own house and your own ship. So, <laughs> there's, you know, there's 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 constant insurrection. So, um, and as you see today, Remax is a reason why agents really get paid the most money out of you know because of the hundred percent concept. They didn't invent the one hundred percent commission plan, but they perfected it and took it to the level where it forced other brokers to actually raise their splits pay more right? and pay more. Yeah. So, um, but man, I learned so much just by being a Remax broker owner, the training, the best of the best. And so I decided to go back out on my own and I, and, and then decided I could just do my own thing. Man, that's a lot. So how many years did you do the, the Remax broker, all that 40 plus of all those agents? Yeah. From 98, I started in 1998 as a Remax uh, franchise owner. And then in 2001, I kind of peaked at 40 uh, agents. What I did, too, is I, I bought another REMAX office okay. out. So I took on some of their agents and then took on some of their overhead and some of their debt, too. And so I got the T-shirt um, as to how to uh, acquire a company. <laughs> you know, sometimes the best lesson is is, is just you got to go through it. It's experience is the best teacher. So... Um, I brought some of my agents, almost about half of my agents, and then I merged with another office. And as I was managing that office, I had, in 2001, I had a major epiphany. And that was, it's like- Way you know, early, too. This is this is like, you were the first adopter. And, and so I was, as I was going over my business plan, I, I decided to look at different opportunities. And so in 2001, I was, you know- trying to come up with something that would give me a real good income stream and be duplicatable, repeat, you know, and systematic. And, and so I said, well, I don't want to do short sales because short, short sales are just tough. So um, I actually did my first foreclosure in 2000, and it was just a little itty-bitty house. I got like a $6 electric bill that I had to submit for reimbursement, and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this ever again. <laughs> and then I started thinking about it, and I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So I actually dropped uh, my traditional real estate business, and in January, I just started calling all the banks. So I, I called Countrywide, WAMU, uh, which is Washington Mutual, IndyMac Bank, uh, AmeriQuest. A lot of these um, are no more. They're all gone. All of them. All gone. All gone. Well, yeah, yeah. It's just interesting. Even Wamu. I mean Wamu. And so they've all merged into, you know, of course we got pretty much the big three today. But yeah, I, I had the opportunity to work very early on, and the foreclosure volume was incredible back in two thousand one. So, um, I mean the the writing was already on the wall. What was unique is nobody else wanted to sell foreclosures. So anyone who wanted to do REO, when you walked in, you got it. It just basically was, it was almost that, it was a lot easier than it is today. I wonder, why did nobody want to do REOs back then? Because uh, everybody wanted to be in the Cadillac and drive uh, customers around and look at nice big houses and, 
and um, you know have that prestige and that image. So they everybody just kind of transaction volume. They, they were looking at the transaction, and everybody just kind of you know um, said, mm, "I don't want to do that," and they just kind of turned the nose up at it. So for those of us who did it early on. Uh, we got, man, we've got a volume, unbelievable. As a matter of fact, I had a, I had three fax machines. This was even before three fax machines before we, yeah, before we, so this is the, we, we had to do the broker price opinions, the old fashioned way, Oh man. take the picture, develop it and then paste it. And then we had to overnight it. That's some old school shit, right? It, there. it was old school. Yeah. yeah. That was a lot of work. Well, that that's was, some, yeah. That's yeah. some ballsy shit though, too, to, to, I'm just done with this Remax stuff and I'm going to. How fast, when you made the decision, did you get rid of your office and go right into? Well, I didn't get, get rid of your agents. Well, I didn't get rid of anything. But what I did is I hired a buyer's agent to show all of my uh, buyers okay. and so clients. Okay, you kept everything. And I you kept pivoted. everything, and then I just built the um, REO department. And so, in the first year, um, seven is always a number for completion. After seven months, the floodgates just opened up, and um, within two days. It, this is crazy. It was it was a Tuesday and a Thursday. It was like in around September. Um, I got a call from Fannie Mae like on Tuesday saying, "You want this account pretty bad, don't you?" And then and then I got a call from Freddie Mac on Thursday. Just incredible. So how did um, you do those calls? How, what were you telling these people? They get them. You want this account pretty bad, yeah. like, David? Well, tell me. What, you, I make calls all the time. Tell me. How did you get them to to call? Well, you what way? I did is I used uh, the Remax online agent, which is which is uh, called online agent, and then it was, they they rebranded it and called it the Remax Agent Two Thousand. That's what it was called back in the day. Um, it was it's a CRM, and I just uh, went to the internet and I looked up every single bank in the United States. I put the bank in my CRM and then I had at least the name and the address and the phone number. I would call and I would ask for the REO department or their vendor management department uh, who handled uh, their bank owned properties. So they would then, you know, direct me to whomever that was. Back then, once again, people picked the phone up a little bit more, I think, you know, than they do today. And I would talk to him and say, hey, uh, I'm David Brooks, and I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm uh, specializing in selling foreclosed uh, REO properties. What can I do to get on your list? And uh, that's how it started. And then uh, obviously it wasn't that easy, but um, the the ones where I didn't get a return phone call, uh, I would send out, uh, I built a campaign, and they would get three touches a month. They would get a phone call. They would get a letter and then they would get an email. And so after contacting a lot of the people for a period of time, such as the case with Fannie Mae uh, and with Freddie Mac, what they would do after about, you know, a month or two or three is they would send you a letter. And then on that letter would say, thank you for inquiring about becoming a uh, broker direct to sell our properties. However, we don't, you know, have the volume right now and therefore, you know, we're not hiring anyone. I was like, hey, I got the letter. <laughs> so, you're like, you're not hiring anybody yet. <laughs> yeah. So once I got the letter, what did I have? I had another name, yep. had another contact. Put him in. And so not only did I put him in, but the very next day I would send out another letter, FedEx overnight priority to arrive at their desk before 9 a.m. Damn, that's some closer shit right there. Yeah. So they just literally sent this thing, and then they show up a call right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like no, I don't think you understand. I want all your business, says David. Yeah, this, yeah, this guy is back. Okay, all right. Give this David Brooks a call, so you know we can put him in the system. Yeah. <laughs> that's a. I love that. So you got the rejection letter, and you just overnight him another letter. I like no. 
I'm going right. to do this. Yeah. So now what did the letter say? Do you remember what the letter said? More well, or less? well, exactly. Um, not verbatim, but to you know something to the gist of, um, you know, thank you for your inquiry um, about becoming a listing broker for Fannie Mae. Uh, this was a Fannie Mae letter, and but however, we're not hiring in your territory because we use these metrics, and right now we don't have the volume to support, you know, hiring another broker. However, you can sell our properties, and here how you go, and to, you know, this is how you can go about to find out about our list. Well, of course, I didn't. I wasn't interested in that. Uh, but what I did have is I had now the VP, and I remember it was Gabrielle. I remember um, it was Gabrielle can't remember her last name, but then she went on to guess what? To be the VP of Bank of America. So that's kind of how, so that's kind of how things happen, you know, and it happens today is, you know, you start with your network of people and then they're um, just kind of, you know, they grow from there. Uh, Either they're displaced and then they go get another job or they just migrate through, you know, uh, a different um, part of the you know country, uh, which is a lot would happen. A lot of the VP people would just move around, and then so they go from bank to bank. They, some made like maybe three or five stops along the way. Yeah, so the Fortune that, 500 co- yeah. world is pretty incestuous. They jump, yeah, they're exactly. everywhere. They're right. all like cousins. Exactly. So um, it, you know, it's a multiplier effect. There were some really, really, really those were the best years, and so. Uh, once the sun started to set on the REO industry in about 2012, uh, the writing was on the wall, and there was a HUD consultant that I was working with. She said, you know, David, you ought to take a look at getting into the auction industry. And prior to doing foreclosed properties, a lot of us never really attended an auction and didn't do anything uh, with an auction property or or, or any of that. So uh, the auction industry really took off as a result of the foreclosure crisis and auctions became more of a mainstay. And now they're, uh, although it's still an alternative dis- disposition strategy, there's a lot of people who turn to auction first. And if you look at the millennial generation and how the the e-commerce uh, world works today is people would rather buy something online, do their own due diligence, not necessarily always have to talk to a salesperson, and then decide after they've done the research whether whether or not they would want to buy it. Global economy too. Global. I mean, you can't ignore that, right? Global economy. Um, the per, the the purchaser, the bidder is in control a little bit more, um, and then there's a lot of different um, similarities, but there's a lot that's very conversely different. Uh, for instance, like with an auction, it's transparent. So it levels the playing field, meaning that a buyer knows exactly what the other bidder is offering. Yeah. So there's no best guessing. If you're at 100000 then I know I need to be $1 over that. And so um, what happens is the buyer knows exactly uh, when they can buy and how high they can get by, you know, if they qualify for it, then they do it. Um, and then uh, the seller also gets to see the auction. They know that they're getting fair market value, and then um, it, it's, it's, it's just a win-win for both. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting pivot, too, and I'm, I have a ton of questions about that because I actually got to experience that at the Michigan Masterminds oh, yeah. at the DAC. That was cool because oh, – yeah. We're going to talk about it too. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You obviously had a charity that's near and dear to your heart, and you were auctioning off some Tigers tickets. Right. Like you mentioned earlier. 
In fact, right. that game's going on right yeah, now. So we got right a little now. taste of that, yeah. which was kind of cool. Yeah. It, was, it was a fun experience. Yeah. So, so from 2001 to 2012, you just sold a ton I of REO sold properties. a lot of properties. I st- uh, my first year in the business of selling REO in 2001, I did a, a little bit over maybe 70. Going back and remembering the numbers, I did about maybe 75 properties my first year. And then... Uh, it, it, it quickly doubled to about 150-ish the second year, and then it doubled again going into like 2003 to up to about 300, and then from there on, I was always over 300 properties. And then we did um, almost about 500 properties one year, and just that that was the burnout um, stage, but... Uh, uh, and, and this is what's 2008, I believe. This was the year, of course, when um, the meltdown occurred. Best and year ever for me. <laughs> it, it, it was the best year. Yeah. And uh, Countrywide was one of um, my accounts. I actually hooked up with a, um, it was almost like a HUD format. It was it was a broker who had HUD homes. He sold HUD, HUD, HUD homes. It was MCB, if anybody remembers, Michael uh, Connelson and Bull. They had early on. They had the HUD account. Well, uh, this format was used to sell the countrywide properties back then because we would get incredible amount of volume. Um, like for instance, I would get like sixty foreclosure assignments, and like it would be Monday at the beginning of the week. I would have sixty properties already by Wednesday. Man. And so you have different problems then, though. <laughs> right? Right. Normally, people are prospecting. It was a great. good problem. You're like, man, I gotta get busy. Right. And so it was literally, you know, going back then. I even we had all the fax machines. We're still using fax machines back then. Not as we weren't using the e-fax and all that wasn't as popular. Uh, but so yeah, the day started at 5 a.m. pretty much in the morning, and that 5 a.m. went to like 10 o'clock at night, and it 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 grew from Grand Rapids, and I started going to Holland, and then Holland became Muskegon, Muskegon became uh, Niles, Michigan, Niles, Michigan, then became Traverse City. So I start, I did the whole I was I was the Mikey of REO, kind of you know like the you know life cereal. I don't know yeah, yeah, anybody yeah, remembers yeah. life say, Hey, yeah. give it to you know Mikey, Mikey, he'll like it, yeah. and so. Um, you got I, a foreclosure. Give it to David. <laughs> I'll sell it. So that was almost a reputation. So then I started getting properties uh, from other brokers. They were REO properties, and the asset managers would take them away from the other brokers and give them to me because they couldn't sell them after ninety days or something. You, know, you remember the day when yep. you know properties would, would, would get reassigned. So um, the reason why I'm talking about how that footprint expanded is because. Then I started getting properties uh, in Flint, Michigan, and I'm in Grand Rapids, mind you. That's you know two, two, three hours away, and I would send it back to the bank. I said, "It's not my territory. I don't do that." Well, after the second time they sent the property to me, I sent it back, and I started thinking, "Wait a minute, I can do that. You know, why? Why don't I open up another office?" And then uh, I started thinking about it early on, probably right around 2009, and I'm one of those individuals that um, I do. Um, I'm a monomaniac. And so once I latch on to something, I go after it wholeheartedly. Well, sometimes it takes a while for me to get there. So I, I did my research and I was talking to other brokers and I met this one broker, uh, at a conference in Salt Lake city. He was from the Indianapolis market and he had two offices, one in Indianapolis and one in San Diego. And he said it just did wonders for his golf game. But, <laughs> but I bet it did. I started thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. But that just kind of confirms. And he, he also had multiple 
um, Freddie Mac accounts. And I was like, well, I know if he could get it, I could get it too. So I went back. This was like in 2009 and then early 2010. I, I confirmed that I wanted to open up another office on the other side of state. And what I did is I just went to all my banks and all my contacts, and I just asked if they would approve me for another vendor number. And the majority of them said yes, the ones that I had a good uh, relationship with. So they approved me for a different um, vendor ID, which allowed me to keep my existing Grand Rapids office, and then I opened up an office in Novi, Michigan, and then that just went from, that was September 2010, and it just kind of just, it, it, it grew even faster here in, in Southeast Michigan and Detroit, because number one, the sheer number of properties. Numbers were crazy. The numbers were crazy. So I was, after two years uh, Our Magazine in 2013 voted me as one of the top 5% agents uh, here in um, RealComp in and, and 2014. So two years in a row, in 2013, 2014, I was one of the top five agents um, here in Southeast Michigan. Yeah, you were selling a lot of stuff. Well, that, I remember, man, 2008, 2009 was crazy. I remember there were so many foreclosures. It was thousands of foreclosures on the market. It was like a paradise. Bad for everybody well, it, else, but if you're in real estate, dep- excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's it's ironic that as everyone else was doing bad, not everyone was doing bad, but you just have to shift. You have to move uh, with the cheese. Either you need to move with the cheese, or even better yet, be ahead of the cheese. So when the cheese gets there, you know you're you you know you've got your systems and your processes already in place. So. Um, fortunately, I was able to do that. I wish I would have been a little bit more even forward thinking and opened up an office earlier, but I rode that foreclosure wave into the end of meeting, uh, once again, a HUD consultant who said, you know what, David, uh, you should maybe look at getting into the auction industry now that, you know, the, you know, you don't want to ride this horse until, you know, it dies. You rode the whole way, though. You got on the <laughs> beginning and you rode that bitch to the end, right? All and, and the I did way. All the way. Yeah. And... I started, uh, there's a class in, um, down at uh, Indiana in Bloomington in Indiana University. Uh, it's a three-year program uh, to become a certified auctioneer. So I started in uh, 20, it was actually 2016. So 2016, 20, I'm sorry, 2014, 2015, and then I just graduated March of 2016. So three now, years? Th- it's Man, a three-year program, business. but it wasn't uh, actually three years. What, what, what we would do is when, uh, during spring break, uh, and, and this is something that uh, the National Auctioneers Association has done uh, for about 30 plus years uh, is they created this curriculum um, in conjunction with Indiana University uh, to have all the auctioneers from around the world uh, come to the campus. And when spring break is in session, we actually got dorms and everything. Man, that was some fun stuff. I remember Nick's, <laughs> you know, on the hill. But anyway, we just so we were in class. So we were in class all, all day. And then we would do our assignments, and then we would go to, to Nick's. And, uh, man, we, we, we didn't get sleep. But after walking away from that program three years, I've got some great connections in the industry throughout the world. There's only um, about 990 certified auctioneers in the world. I was surprised the number was so it, small. Yeah, quite a few auctioneers, but it's in terms of being certified, which shows that, um, you know, we have – you know, the business acumen and that we can work with government officials, we can work with institutional 
uh, banks. Self-policing and, too, and, right? right? You join an organization, exactly. they try yeah. and keep a certain level of you right. know, yeah. professionalism. Exactly. So uh, it's, 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 it's a brotherhood. It's a very small niche industry. And I thought REO brokers made a lot of money until I met uh, my instructor. And he was like, Dave, he was from Oklahoma. Dave, <laughs> you need to go to auction school. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm being certified right now. So in addition to that, I learned how to bid call, and w- which, w- which is an art. Uh, but but kind of going back to um, the instructor, uh, his name was Whitey Mason, and he sold the homes that um, were – it's a combination of houses. There's about 300 of them down in New Orleans. This was after Hurricane Katrina. If you remember, there were a yeah. lot of there were a lot of displaced um, homeowners. So Fannie Mae and um, Freddie Mac and a lot of banks uh, and then even individuals donated their homes to the city of New Orleans, and um, and and so the city of New Orleans, you know, housed uh, you know families and individuals for. Uh, I don't know, maybe four or five years after Hurricane Katrina. Well, then once um, their market came back and they were able to kind of put them into permanent housing where people just moved away and did whatever, the city of New Orleans had all these houses. It was like about 300 of them. Um, Actually, I think it was was more than that. Um, uh, uh, Now that I recall, it was more, but let's just go with that. So uh, he got the auction for the city of New Orleans and they did an absolute auction oh, on yeah. all of these properties, and the numbers were closer to eight. Well, now I remember it was three hundred houses with eight hundred bidders. So they had eight hundred registered bidders purchasing three hundred houses. That, I'm not. A, I don't know anything about <laughs> auctioning, but that seems like a good ratio. That's a very doggone good yeah, ratio. You you could have some competition. You'd have some competition. Yeah. And guess where they did it? They did it in the Superdome. To get how awesome is that? Yeah. And and so uh, this particular one was a live auction, and they auctioned off all the uh, homes for the city of New Orleans uh, in one afternoon. So I said, "Wow!" And I started doing the math on that, and I was like, "That's some serious change." So he sold three hundred houses in one afternoon when it took me almost a year. <laughs> that is an excellent point. He did a full year's work in one in, afternoon. In one afternoon, now, I'm course, sure he had to do some work before, right? There was a marketing campaign, account, and, and there was, um, you know, like um, seminars or like uh, pre-registration seminars, so people would know how to bid on the properties before they got there. So obviously, it was it was a very intensive campaign. Um, probably all in all, I'm sure it was almost six months from start to finish, but you know, the process still is pretty, pretty amazing. So, um, I was hooked, uh, and, and this was even after I was going through my training and then, um, I went out, uh, I had my own independent uh, office, Brooks real estate group. And, um, I also opened, I started what I thought was going to be a cool auction company. It's like, I can do that, right? So I started my auction company, found out that, guess what? Um, I can't get the 800 bidders as easy as he could. <laughs> so you, you could have an auction, but if you don't have the bidders, you're not going to have an auction. So I uh, started talking to uh, Meetima Asset Management Group uh, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because I actually called them and said, hey, you know what? I've got an auction coming up, and I want to see if I can use your platform and your systems. And um, one thing led to the next. And um, 
it was like, wow, you know what? We're looking for somebody, you know, in Southeast Michigan. They just got a big contract with the city of Detroit to sell their uh, special assets, uh, fire engines, uh, police cars, um, garbage trucks, and things like that. So out of those other eight divisions, they are really, they, they are probably the largest auction company here in Michigan, uh, better known in West Michigan, just now um, creating uh, their, their name and getting more recognition in Southeast Michigan. So they hired me to be in the real estate division. And obviously, when you join forces like that, you get resources, and all of a, all of a sudden, you had a lot more bidders, right? It, it well, it opened up the uh, international audience to me. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 been a good ride. But now, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, um, up and coming here in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, there, once again, there aren't a lot of auctioneers at all. Not only in uh, the state of Michigan or, or the U.S. and the world. but So I'm very much an anomaly. How does prospecting, I mean, prospecting for auctioneer business, is that the same as prospecting, all the regular prospecting you did? You do pretty much the same thing or do you, how, how is that different? Because it seems like you'd want to go after the bigger accounts, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. Kind of, and, and that's, that's uh, you know, once you get the taste of doing corporate, sales and corporate transactions and working for institutions, there's a difference. And so prospecting is pretty much the same as I prospected for REO business. Um, I use the same techniques to prospect for auction business. Uh, So it has opened up doors. Uh, One of the accounts that I um, landed uh, just recently is Atlas Oil Supply. And, And there were several gas stations that they needed to auction. Um, and I had the opportunity to uh, do that auction in April. From that auction, now I'm in the gas station. You know, not, you, you know, not, not, it's like, hey, now I got gas stations, and gas station owners are calling me. So um, becomes easier. You know, once you cut your teeth in a certain area, uh, and and then I uh, just realized once again, you know, you just have to pierce the veil. And you know, once you pierce it, you know, it opens up. Okay. Do you remember your first auction, your first live auction that you did? Well, I do, and it was here. Walk me through it. I love these. I always like the first, because well, the first, these stories, I think stories sell, so if it's to yeah. humor me why I keep asking about well, things. The, the first one, uh, we did a lot, tons of advertising, promoting it. It was on w, uh, WWJ. Uh, we also landed on uh, WDIV on the radio station, and the word was out and this this one seller gave me 80 properties by 88 properties and we rented the hyatt the uh, uh, the durborn hyatt uh, so we, we it was a ballroom auction uh man we I, I had my team and every everybody's was there and i hired an auctioneer to do the bid calling because um i wasn't ready to do my own bid calling at that point so i had an auctioneer on staff i had ringmen uh you know out in the ring to catch the bids and guess what uh we probably got maybe 50 people <laughs> you know oh. come out to the auction right and um what happened is that, you know just learning this is trial and error uh, the properties that we had although that you know they were great properties they were all quick claim deeds cuz the investor who um gave me the properties, um, bought them from Wayne County. Yeah. And if anybody's familiar with Wayne County, and you know what you're quiet, going to get. Yeah, he didn't right. quiet title them, so he, he had to sell he didn't, them on a quick He didn't claim. quiet title. And so, unfortunately, 
because of the type of deed, I learned that um, I'll never do a quick claim deed. Uh, I'll never auction anything with a quick claim deed. So going forward, everything that we auction uh, is warranty deed or a special warranty deed. People get clear title. They know exactly what they're going to get. Um, we put all the information on the website. Uh, for instance, I have uh, four properties that we're auctioning uh, in June. I have absolutely, yeah. Yep, yep. I've got two uh, on June fourteenth, which is the Pennsylvania Road. That's this is um, a nine point seven six acre parcel in Romulus, Michigan, in the Pinnacle Arrow Park uh, Industrial. Uh, complex that they're building. Um, yeah, this is serious business. Tell me what you were telling, because um, you were talking to me about the Detroit airport and the future Detroit airport and what this what this might mean for for land like this. Yeah, and well, and for the region. A lot of people may not know that the Detroit DTW is one of the, probably the the most modern airports in the country. It's, it's one, of, it's the 10th, about the 10th busiest. It's also the gateway uh, for Delta. Delta has their hub there, so it's the gateway to Asia. It's the third busiest um, uh, Delta gateway uh, in the country for Delta. Uh, and also from a transportation hub standpoint, it's a, a very big hub for um, UPS and FedEx. So there's a lot of, you know, of course, a lot of manufacturing that goes on here in, in the region. So uh, several years ago, Wayne County updated their airport, and they had this master plan. One is to add another runway so there's there's been talks about adding another runway but another thing was to have an industrial complex if anyone has flown in and out of dtw you kind of realize there's nothing there yeah. <laughs> it's very strange but in a way it's going to work out to their benefit they're not like o'hara where they're stuck and they're landlocked in exactly right? exactly kind of like denver yeah. if you've flown out of denver it's the same thing it's like you, you, it seems like you drive like 45 minutes just to go way out, you know, um, in the plains to catch, you know, to catch a plane. So um, same thing, uh, DTW, the very modern airport. So what happened, of, of course, 2008 came along and those plans, they just tanked. They, yeah. They just stalled. Everybody's plans did. Everyone, yeah. Right. Exactly. And you changed. 2008 came. You made a change. You For changed. good or bad, you changed something. You changed. Yep. Yeah. So now that the um, economy has recovered, those plans have been resurrected. And just like how the city of Detroit is prospering, so too is the airport. Um, and if, if no one's following Detroit, wasn't that a great uh, keynote uh, speech that we had last week? That was amazing. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Greg McDuffie, he yep. was just... Dude yep. was a professional. He killed it. He just knocked it out of the park. Like he, he must, he must have done. I don't know how many times he got up and did that, but he he killed it. He, he knocked he it did. out of the park. He did. Yeah. Well, the takeaways was well, who to follow, who to follow, and what to follow in Detroit. One is the riverfront. The other one is is uh, the transportation. He spoke about transportation, which is a big key. Uh, factor in determining how Detroit is going to continue to grow and also diversify. Well, there's the brand new train, the M1, the Q line, <laughs> uh, which is named after Quicken Loans. The Q line is going to open here uh, next year, well, 2017. Um, although it's going to be ready, I think they have to test the cars, the street cars, for like a period of um, six months, you know, the transportation department requires that. So the tracks are being laid right now, downtown Detroit, right outside of our 
uh, door here at the David Whitney building. Literally, practically, like you throw a rock. And so you've got that. You also have a regional transit authority, an, a millage that's coming up that's going to connect high-speed um, buses uh, with a lot of the other, with the current infrastructure, such as the new train that's being built. I'm a huge fan of this. Buses are so affordable that I don't see why we don't do this yeah. or why we haven't done it before. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. But this all kind of ties together with the high-speed bus line that will travel from downtown Detroit to the airport. So kind of hard to believe. Once again, there's 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 no public transportation system that goes to our airport. Well, this is the Motor City, yeah. so it's understandable. But now, the next generation, that's where things are headed. So this is fertile ground. Detroit, in my opinion, is the last great city that you can really buy and invest after the recession, after 2008. This is it. And Thank you. It's exa- Actually, it's funny you said that. My wife and I came out here in 2006. We came out here for some real estate course we signed up for, right? And we drove around this city, and we were blown away. We were blown away. And it's not like it is now. All the vacant land on the riverfront, now it's nicer. There's still tons of room to grow. Like We left, and we felt like this is probably the single greatest opportunity for any American if you, especially we had nothing. Like if you really have nothing, it's not Manhattan. I mean, you can do it in Manhattan. If you have nothing, right. you can do it anywhere. But Detroit, it was affordable. It was priced. We could live here cheap. We can do the yep. whole startup thing. We had all the opportunity, thousands of properties for sale. It would, the wild, I call it the wild, wild west a little bit. Some people didn't like that, this, but it was, but, you it know, was like that. The land is, grab, This right? is the frontier. Yeah. This yeah. is the front, and it's the new frontier. Yes. Um, and it's still the frontier. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. And just, it's crazy how much waterfront we have and not enough skyscrapers, condos. Now we have the Detroit River Walk is almost complete. It's gorgeous. No. I, I love when people talk like that because that's what got me here. Right. You know? I was like, so going, right. So going back to Greg McDuffie uh, last week at the Mr. Michigan Masterminds Luncheon, one of the things to follow is the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy. And uh, that's so, so. So anything that's going to happen, uh, you know, along the river, obviously, you know, get your hands on it and right now. I mean, did you know that there's um, I, I did a, um, a tour last year um, and it was with uh, Detroit. Um, no, Detroit um, kayak. I think of Detroit kayaking. We did this little kayak trip from Belle Isle. And do you know how many canals actually come off of the river, uh, off of St. Clair, and it goes right into the Detroit? Well, Alter Road, guess what? I know that one is. They yeah, have a canal. They do. I almost bought a house there. And so. you know Alter Road. Alter Alter Road is like the Berlin Wall yeah, in Detroit. Detroit Gross Point. <laughs> in between Detroit and yeah. Gross Point. Literally a wall yep. at the boundary. They, I don't um, think they wanted Detroit seeping yep. over. Yeah. That was the impre- the well, big fence, too, with a berm. Like, yep. you stay over there. Yep. Well, guess what? I bought one of my houses on Alter Road when I bought here. When, when I, when I, after I moved here, people thought I was nuts. Well, I sold it. I flipped it. Um, and, uh, you know, I made pennies on the dollar. But the point is... Those opportunities are here. Yeah. And um, you, you, you can buy your wholesale, whatever. But And there are a lot of speculators and a lot of investors who still do that. But the city is changing. Number one, the city is not allowing speculators to come in and buy like that anymore. You know, they've got reverter deeds. 
Uh, you have to keep your property taxes current. Otherwise, in that reverter deed, all it takes is a judge signature to foreclose and take that property yeah, back. From one them. year now, and, if they want to, yeah, and one year, of three. They, if you and, buy it at exactly. the tax yep. auction, you want to do this. Yeah, yeah that yes. was. I think that was a good move. It, yeah. it was a good move yeah. because it 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 stopped a lot of the. You know, I I don't want to say any one particular group, but a lot of people were doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? It made it's not very ethical, but it made a lot of business sense to and, to and, do that and right? just milk the property and yeah. then just let this go back to the city. And then guess what? They would even buy it again. Buy it back. I know. I personally know landlords <laughs> that this was their tax strategy. Yeah. Why pay it? I'll go back. I'll bid it. You know. And get it at a lower price again. And they were. It sounds like a crazy idea if you're listening, but it actually worked for a long time. Right. It didn't actually even wasn't even really a problem till like 2012, 2013, when people right. were like, "Well, hold right. on now, come on." That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For those listening, what they were doing was they were buying tax reverted property. So if you don't pay your property tax in Wayne County or anywhere in Michigan after three years, the county will foreclose on it, and then there will be an auction. They will auction it off. That's how they yeah. get their money back, right? So when they do this process, you you get the auction price and then whatever the taxes were that year, many people would just buy there, put a renter in it or sit on it, not pay the taxes for three years and then see if values went up to sell it or they would go back and buy the same property for $500 plus. It was like a tax reduction program. It was very successful. I personally know a couple of people who did this successfully and I know there were several large groups that I won't name because I don't want to get sued. And anyway, they... uh, (laughs) They did it with hundreds of properties. So, At a time. Yes. Yeah. Blocks, literally. Blocks. Right. So, sorry. For people, a lot of people are in, 30% of the, the audience is international. So some of this shit is confusing to them, especially how regulated real estate is in Europe. They're like, what are you talking about? So yeah. I, I try to take a second yeah. to explain to people. Well, that's gone now. So if you are delinquent one year now, yep. uh, that reverter deed, yeah, you lose a property. So interesting. So before I forget, August 19th. I am part of an outreach committee. It's at the Detroit Athletic Club. We're doing the second annual downtown apartment crawl. Uh, this building is going to be on the tour. I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not. No, no. Yeah. So uh, last year uh, was the inception. Um, I, I Just being down here, I just wanted to share what was going on with everyone. So a lot of my friends back in Grand Rapids, um, they're in real estate property management. And I, I was like, you got to come over here and um, we can tour downtown and we can go to Tigers game. So uh, one thing led to another and I ended up getting like about 50, 56 people Wow, came, um, not all from Grand Rapids, half from Detroit, half from Grand Rapids. And we did like a little um, event in one of the rooms at the Detroit Athletic Club. We hired uh, a tour guide from the Detroit Experience Factory to give us a tour of downtown. This building. We That's went, cool. We went to three buildings. We started at this building. And guess what? Last year, we, we picked a day where it could not have been better. Guess who stayed here in the building? There's a hotel as well as residences. Richard Branson. Oh wow! He was yeah, kick- he could have picked the better. He was yeah. he was kicking off uh, his uh, <laughs> inaugural flight for Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, and SPG uh, is uh, the Starwood part of the Starwood um, uh, brand. So he wanted to stay either here or at the book Cadillac. Well, he wanted something that was a little bit more boutique, and he chose this this hotel. So he's here in the lobby as we're doing our downtown apartment crawl. 
And we kind of told people, hey, you know, you may, you may see him, you may not. Here he is, right in that same room where you were getting coffee. <laughs> and people were taking <laughs> selfies with him. Hell it, yeah. It was the coolest thing. And so uh, that's how the tour started. But then we went from here. Then we went to uh, the Millinder, which is now uh, Renaissance Apartments. And then we went to the book Cadillac. And um, the friends that I had at each location, they opened up uh, their apartment or condo and uh, let everybody come through. They did a tour. They talked about, um, you know, why they're downtown in Detroit and et cetera, et cetera. And, and then we ended up uh, at Tiger Stadium uh, watching the ball game, and then uh, the evening ended with fireworks. You know, they do fireworks every Friday and Saturday night. So really cool. So this has now grown. Um, the second year, it looks like we're, we're going to do about 150 people. And uh, you can go to Eventbrite. This is the second annual downtown apartment crawl if you'd like to attend gina check this out before <laughs> but get get her tickets before they sell out it, I, yeah so so now we're going to do buses See, this is the benefit i get to go back and edit this and buy my tickets before everybody else hears there, this. There, yeah. there you go so so um uh well actually we have 168 um uh, spots available uh, so we're gonna have three buses it's going to start at the dac we're going to do the professional tour guide we're going to have two guides on each bus uh, it's going to start here at the theater district which if you don't know right here the theater district you've got the fox you've got the opera house this is the second largest theater district in the united states second to new york so um, those are the type of facts uh, that will come um, if you're part of the tour uh, and then just talking you know just looking at all the uh, the architecture downtown, uh, several districts. There's so many dif districts in downtown Detroit. Detroit was actually designed after Paris. And literally, this was the Paris of the Midwest. Um, the point of origin down at Campus Martian, uh, 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 Martius, yeah. that point of origin in 1701 uh, was was put there um, as part of the, uh, the grid, you know, the grid survey. Yeah. So everything in Michigan starts right down here at this point of order. Campus Marsh is where it all started. This is where okay. it all started, 1701. Um, Cadillac, yep. So, uh, French um, uh, trader. So, uh, kind of bringing back to today, uh, downtown, it's just, there's so many districts down here. Um, it, it, there's just so much history. So, now everything is coming back and being revitalized. So, we're going to visit not just this building, um, and then we're going to go over to the Millinder, which is still core downtown. But then we're going to head over to Corktown. And in Corktown, that's on the edge. That's one of those edges that's budding. Uh, Dan Gilbert just bought a building on front, uh, West Front, for $2 million. And that is going to be turned into lofts. Well, we're going to walk through a building, kitty corner to that building. Um, it's called the Hudson. And this is right on the river. This is at the edge of the riverfront where it's the, the river walk stops and then you've got the ambassador bridge a little bit further down so we're going to check out this uh this this, this cool uh, location uh location yeah talking yep. okay. and perfect thank you so um we're going to talk about the history of this building it used to be a chop shop and uh <laughs> say it ain't so david <laughs> but now it's just amazing because people are walking their dogs and it's like they're on their bicycles and Dude, it's like, like woodbridge <laughs> yeah it's wider than sour cream when i moved here yeah. man that was yeah. the ghetto yeah now yeah. Pe families kids 
bikes, every, every, white people. Yes. Now that sounds like a terrible thing, but in 2007 when I moved here, there. Oh, I know. There was know. No, we were the only white people in our neighborhood. There was just no white people. And no. if you have not been to Detroit, like in the last seven eight years, it doesn't look the same. It just doesn't. Like it is completely yeah. different. Yeah. Now there's some parts still. I mean, we got a lot long way to go, but downtown. Yes, it, downtown. It, yeah, you know, you wouldn't even recognize it if you unbelievable, seen it. Yeah. unbelievable. Which, um, by the way, this location just got Rocket Fiber, which is ultra high speed. It's like the Google oh, um, network. You have no idea what I got to deal with out in Northwest Detroit. I yeah. would love some of that. Yeah. Well, eventually, you know, Rocket Fiber is going to go into all the neighborhoods in Detroit. But yeah, this this building just went online with Rocket Fiber here the last couple of days, uh, and and what. What that means is, and I'm not in the, I'm not a tech geek by any means, but what it means is basically you can download, uh, this is old language. You can download an album and like, it's like five seconds or whatever it is. Is that five? Is that fast? That's pretty fast. We're not talking about gigabytes. We're talking about terabytes and all this stuff. So, um, that's what's happening with the infrastructure in Detroit. Yeah. We, for the future that that's like a railroad, you know? Yes. Yes. Put in those data pipelines and man, that's going to be fun. Now, if I wasn't, I'm seeing a pattern here, David. You are an excellent salesperson. So if somebody went on this trip, might they have an opportunity to purchase some of this? They're going to have an opportunity. There's going to be properties that are going yes. to be highlighted. Uh, we're going to specifically make it a point that the tour guides talk about um, the three D's in Detroit. Well, the three D's is the David Whitney, the David Stott, and the David Broderick. Well, all three of these buildings could have been purchased like pre-2008. You could have bought all of these buildings. This building that has yeah. 70 to 90 squatters, million a million dollars. Yeah. Do I, wasn't there 50 vacant, well, vacant, I guess there was some squatters, but 50 di- vacant. Dinosaur buildings. Yeah, dinosaur buildings. I remember which, that from, from the other one, which is crazy. And now in a dinosaur building is something over 100,000 square feet. So it's like 50 vacant dinosaur buildings in downtown Detroit. And Basically skyscrapers. Skys- yeah, skyscrapers. Yeah. Yep. Empty city. Empty city. And now I want to say is it is about four? It's, 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 it's single digits. That's what I do know. So don't if, if you look it up, you can find it. But my my motto is why buy a condo in New York when you can buy a skyscraper in Detroit? That's a, well, that's a hard argument to, to beat, I think. Why buy a condo in New York when you can buy a skyscraper in, in Detroit? New, yeah, yeah for the same it. thing. For yep, the same thing. Yep. Yeah. So these properties will be discussed and, you know, just uh, a lot of tons of facts. And then um, as a matter of fact, um, I had a little. Uh, little brainchild. Um, I'm also partnering up with the Detroit Experience Factory, and we're actually doing a tour of Detroit, a development tour. So that is also going to kick off uh, later this year, too. So um, we're, we're going to partner with uh, Detroit Experience Factory, and then we're going to do that on a regular basis and kind of see it grow from there. You know how Wendy Patton, she does um, her thing. And, you know, there's some people who do tours, but this yeah. is this is uh, so. So um, I don't know. I'll get that information to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Send um, me the link. But it really starts with the downtown apartment crawl. It's really essentially that's this is what it is. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. By the way, th- I think this is an excellent 
point too. If you have enthusiasm for something like you do, you're obviously incredibly enthusiastic about Detroit, the redevelopment, all that. It's not fake either. I can tell it's real. There's no reason why you can't sell the shit out of it too, right? Like it's just it's genuine enthusiasm that you have for the city and everything changing and you can still do this and put on a show and have a great time and still sell things too. Like Live They're here. not mutually exclusive. Yep. Live here, work here, do yep. it all. Um, yeah, run the uh, you know run uh, the Dequinder Cut, uh, which is beautiful. If you haven't seen the Dequinder Cut, it's the old railroad, and now it goes from the riverfront uh, down at Atwater through Eastern Market. Uh, just real neat. Um, it just goes on and on, and then like it's about seven something miles. Uh, of river walk that is now completed. Gorgeous river yeah. walk, yeah. And and that's going to continue to grow. Uh, it's actually, I want to say, can't remember exactly the miles that Greg said last week, but you know we've got uh, it's about three times that amount. Um, I want to say about forty two miles between here and Canada. <laughs> so uh, it's it's just uh, that's 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 a crown jewel here in Detroit um, is is uh, repurposing that riverfront. Yeah, I think this I think this is gonna Detroit's really gonna appeal to millennials. Survey after survey shows that well, they don't want to separate their work life from their real life. And in yeah. that sense, Detroit is in a unique position for especially somebody who wants to kind of be in a startup, as you pointed out, why buy a why buy a condo in New York when you could buy a skyscraper? Buy the old building. Yeah. And, and those opportunities are still here. Yep. So the edges. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, during the downtown apartment crawl, the edges, pushing the edges. And um, Detroit's like a donut. So you've got the cream in the middle, and then on the, in, in the suburbs, you know, you've got the rubber in the outside. Well, the corridors, uh, the Michigan Avenue, uh, the Gratiot, the Grand River, uh, you know, these are all the corridors. Well, these are the same corridors that are you know, really it connects everything. Um, so once we have the high speed transportation, the bus lines and all these things, it's just all going to come together. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a real city, you know, uh, yeah. we have all the pieces and they weren't all connected. A walk. Exactly. You, a walkable city. You connect yeah. it. And all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah, yeah. some of the things he was talking about too. It's interesting. It's amazing that freeways were the airplanes and yeah. it was also, the dividing line and the destruction of certain neighborhoods as well. Now they're talking about fixing that. Well, and raising I'll, it or lowering it and connecting the neighborhoods again. Right. And then not only, yeah, that, well, that's a good point, uh, which was brought up last week at yep. uh, the Michigan, Michigan Masterminds Luncheon, was the proposal that the Urban Land Institute had for the city and the planners to disassemble the 370 i-375 which is the which is the loop that connects all the major arteries coming into downtown and the proposal is is to just raise it remove it completely and put in green space if that happens oh my gosh yeah you're that whole neighborhood there i mean you get you know, a whiff of that happening, you should buy some real estate over there because right. that's that right. that would be the edges that you keep referring that to. That'd edges. be the new edge. That's the new edge. The new development edge. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, just just follow that. If you want to go to ULI to the Urban Land Institute, uh and find their web website and then look for the Michigan chapter. Yeah, they also have a free um book too. I downloaded it. I'm only about halfway through it. It's farming season for me, so I'm putting everything in the ground. But it's a very different way of thinking. And I appreciate it. I'm not, 
I don't know about you, David, but sometimes it's a little strange for me to think in different ways. I get so used to thinking in a certain way, and then I, I experience a different way of thinking, especially such long-term thinking that, it, I don't know, for me, it's kind of exciting sometimes. I'm like, oh, wow, I never well, thought is. about it like that. It is. It is. Well, so uh, I do want to mention a couple things, too, that there's 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 similarities of what is happening right here in Detroit and what happened in Grand Rapids about 30 years ago. Uh, the rebirth in Grand Rapids happened about 30 years ago, and right now um, the city of Grand Rapids has about 10 historic districts. So they started uh, uh, you know, putting these historic, you know, these properties that, um, you know, were, were, were built by the lumber barons, the lumber barons, they started putting them into historic districts so they could save, you know, the original architecture. And from that, uh, Heritage Hill, Cherry Hill, Fairmont Square, um, you've got all these historic districts that started. And it's unbelievable if anybody is familiar with Grand Rapids, Michigan, where it, what, how it looks today. There was no downtown. Now, they're putting a movie theater. They're going to have a movie theater downtown Grand Rapids. Well, we just lost our movie theater last year. It closed in the Rensen, and we don't have a movie theater here in downtown. So these patterns, I'm, I'm seeing the similarities. It's incredible. Um, I have this story about uh, this friend of mine, uh, well, and, and it's really, uh, um, I, I'll keep names. Um, yeah, don't say anything. You'll get in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Casey Lizards or whatever. But, he was in the alternative trade business back then, and um, he used to sell um, pharmaceuticals, let's just say. Okay. And, uh, Profitable. On, <laughs> on one of the corners, right? And uh, this, this very same corner in Grand Rapids now has eateries, pubs, um, wineries, uh, art galleries, you name it. And it also has like a little local civic theater, too. Uh, and it has uh, the, it has the natural bricks. They they put the bricks back in the road. The, the the exact same thing is happening here in Detroit, but it's on a larger scale. That's exciting. Before we get too far along, and we are recording live, by the way, in the David Whitney Building, and people are starting to show up. Let's talk after about, the baseball game. Yeah, this property. Did we here. win? No, it's got, still going. Did we win? Oh, they're still going. So we're what? Eight to five in the ninth. We're not winning. That sucks. All right. So you have four properties, and one of them is going to be absolute. Like, it is being sold. Regardless of price. No matter what. Which I know that always gets everybody excited, right? Because that's like, a, it's like eBay, right? No, minimum, no reserve, folks. No minimum, no reserve. No. And this is near the airport. Once again, this is the 9.76-acre parcel uh, that is in the Pinnacle Arrow uh industrial uh, complex that, that's on um, pennsylvania road yes and, and all this is going to be in the show notes folks don't freak out we're going to talk about it and this this 10 acre parcel almost 10 acre parcel is kitty corner to uh the pinnacle aero park which is currently right now they're selling a lot of uh tracks in this park well you can buy the whole thing right now for eight million dollars that's 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 it's like a 320 acre site uh, and then further down the road on I-94 in Vining, they're building the Michigan outlets. So there's an outlet uh, mall that's being built with all the, you know, Calvin Klein, um, you know, you name it. So, it, you know, there's going to be a lot of, lot of development, a lot of opportunity. 
this is going to be some path of progress stuff, right? Yeah, so for developers yeah. looking to get ahead, this of would the be curve. something for them, yeah, right? It's good, good raw land investment. So if anybody is listening uh, and you're overseas, this, this might they be something are, that you're interested yep. in. Especially if you have a bunch of that Chinese funny money. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's all funny money, but <laughs> we know that's particularly funny. You might want to invest it in something real and yep. the path of progress. And that's on Pennsylvania Road, absolute auction. Then you got the former Michigan Department of Transportation building at 25185 Goddard Taylor, Michigan, online auction. That's on June 14th as, as well. well. Yeah. Yes, 18,000 square foot commercial building. Uh, that is zoned 01. So there's a lot of flexibility that could be turned into um, uh, a group home. It could be turned into uh, a clinic um, for medicinal marijuana. It has like all these <laughs> different opportunities that you could do here, right? Uh, Which might be legalized the next year or two, by <laughs> yeah. the way, folks, depending yeah. on uh, how entrepreneurial you are. Yeah. There's some options there, yeah. right? Yeah, and the, and then the city of Romulus is flexible with this building, too. So if you wanted to even convert it into apartments, uh, that would be a special use variance that you could apply for. Uh, so a lot of different um, options where this building can be repurposed. Uh, and, and, and be restored. So that's, uh, this, this one does have a reserve. That's a reserve auction, but it's 18,000 square feet. It has two nice overhead doors. Uh, it actually has two levels, and it's very open, very open concept. Uh, and it also has a large parking lot for uh, 100, about 100 parking spaces. So uh, incredible, incredible building. That is uh, last bid real estate last bid real estate.com if you want to go you can go there you can get all the um, all the bidder information photos title work uh, etc yeah sign up it has a sign up too so if you just go and enter your email address I did last last bid real estate.com you can register for free to get updates um, if you want to bid on the property uh, you do have to uh, register uh, to get a bidder number uh, the process is quite simple Uh it doesn't cost anything. Once again, uh, lastbidrealestate.com. All right. Then you have Sunoco gas station and a Marathon gas station, one in Flint and one in Flushing. Are these operating, working? Um? These stations are operational. The Flushing station is open from 5 a.m. to 1130 um, at night. Um, and uh, there's... Uh, that's a marathon gas station. Uh, and then the Sunoco in Flint is open 24 hours. Uh, these two stations are owned by uh, a, uh, um, someone who is full-time in the gas station business. He has several throughout metropolitan Detroit. If you're familiar with um, Flushing and Flint, um, then you, you'll, you'll know that that's, that's north of Detroit. Um, and about 45 miles from downtown from where we are right now. Well, the owner lives in Canton, Michigan. So currently he's driving. That's a hell of a drive. From Canton yeah. to uh, those two locations. That'll wear you out. Yeah, and uh, he's decided uh, just due to uh, reasons to uh, kind of scale scale down a little bit and scale back. That's the reason why he's selling them. But they, they're fully fo- functional. They're all upgraded. LED lighting. I don't know if anybody's into LED lighting and how cool that is. You know, fluorescent is just totally gone now. Yeah, LED. it's all LED. Yeah, yeah, everything's LED. And so uh, he updated every everything, interior, exterior, uh, uh, upgraded the buildings, new roofs, new furnaces, um, and the income is disclosed on the website. So if you're interested in 
uh, owning a gas station. Uh, what's unique about these two gas stations, the oil supplier that um, uh, delivers the gas, uh, is, it's not uncommon for gas station owners to enter into a 10-year oil supply agreement. So this, this particular contract uh, is for, it goes through 2023, and it's guaranteed. So the flushing station, he's guaranteed to get $3,500 a month regardless of volume. Uh, and then the Flint station is $3,000 a month regardless. And what's nice about that is uh, the oil supply company pays for the credit card fees. They pay for everything. Um, so this is net. So that's one source of income. Then, of course, and that's $3,500 on flushing, 3000 on the Flint. And then there's the convenience store sales, uh, which are averaged between thirty to 35000 a month per, per location. And then there's um, other little small sales like lottery. Uh, he gets lottery commission uh, in the 1500 for Flint and like $2,500 a month for uh, the flushing. And then there's the, um, you know, the vacuum uh, and, and the air pump, you know, a couple hundred dollars from there. But it all adds up. So gross, uh, you can go there and you can quickly add up the gross income and you can see what you know those are bringing in per month. That's all at lastbidrealestate.com. And I'm going to have the exact links in the show notes. So you can go there and check it out and just surf if you want. But if you're interested in a particular property and you're listening right now, just go to the show notes. You'll see the address. You'll see a Sunoco gas station. Click on it. It'll go right there and you can check it out. So especially... You're interested in some path of progress stuff, you know that absolute auction. I don't know. That's exciting. I like absolute. Absolute means a no. buyer will yeah. purchase. It's going to happen. June fourteenth, it is being sold to someone. Yes, someone yes. is going to buy that yeah. probably at a fairly decent price. I would imagine. Yep. Yeah. And you know, raw land's not a bad deal. You know, if you want to buy and hold and speculate, if you are. Um, Overseas, you don't need a management company. That's <laughs> Not, true. You yeah. just need to make sure Manage that it's mowed and pay the taxes, and yeah. uh, pretty much that's about it. Yeah, cut the grass if you have to. Yep. Pay the property tax. Maybe yep. some sort of liability insurance. Yep. If something bad happens, and it is path of progress. If that's your thing, definitely go check it out. So it is getting a little noisy in here, but I still have more questions, so I'm going to push the limit. So. Right now, we're recording live, and the Tigers game is coming out. So there may be a little background noise, but ambiance, right? We're going to go with it. It's part of the ambiance. Yeah, that's it. right. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. So I, I still have a ton of questions. I'm not going to get to them at all. But um, you're, you're the first person when I kind of sent you a breakdown of how the podcast goes. And I break it down roughly into four parts where um, – in less than 24 hours, I, I had a response back, and I got the ideal day. Uh, and I said, what's your ID? You know, I just throw <laughs> some of the things out we're going to talk about, right? No, not when you email David Brooks. I got the whole I got the whole breakdown, and I see that your day is very regimented, right? You wake up at 530. You swim a lot. You run a lot. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit because um, – I think I, I know since I started waking up early, I've doubled my income, right? Things, it's interesting how things work out, and I don't think things happen on accident. So let's talk about how and why you structured your day um, the way it is briefly. So I have your very excellent email here, by the way, with 
Uh, here we go. I'm going to pull it up right now. Your, your ideal day. Oh, when I'm doing this, how, how can people buy your book? Oh, well, right now, that's, that's the unedited version, by the way. Okay, so, so it hasn't been published yet. <laughs> it has not been published. Okay, when will it be released? Um, I will give you the information. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to create an ebook out of it, and then I actually do want to have an editor to just kind yeah, of brush absolutely. it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did this book uh, to, when I graduated from um, my, my, my program. Uh, and, and so it was, it was something I put together in a very relatively short period of time. <laughs> so it, it was, it was an idea. I was like, what can I do? Part of, part of uh, graduating, um, with, uh, the National Auctioneers Association down at Indiana University, part of the program was there was a business plan that uh, was a contest. And in this contest, uh, we would go head to head and the faculty, uh, would grade us and they would judge us based on our plan that we submitted. And the way that the plan worked is this is the the plan that we submitted in year one, and we followed through all the way through year three. And then basically we have to talk about you know our success and the things that we did. Um, and make a long story short, well, there was an, an award that was going to go to uh, the student who had the top business plan. So I'm a little competitive. I would say probably more than a little. <laughs> and, and, Very uh, alpha male in a cutthroat <laughs> industry, right? <laughs> so... So I started thinking, you know, what could I do? And that's where I had the idea of writing the book. So I literally put this book together in less than about two weeks. And what it is, it was all my LinkedIn post, all my, all, all my, you know, from my blog that's on LinkedIn. That's genius. And so You're I just like I already wrote. It. I just got to put. It I already together. wrote it. I just got to put it together. Yeah. So when you get to the book, you know, in some of the pages, it says "click here." So, <laughs> so until that's an ebook, you know, you really won't be able to click. Yeah. Um, but so we're just going to brush up a few things, and once uh, I have it polished up, then we're going to publish it. Do we have an ETA, like two months, six months, something uh, it's, like that? It's, it's going to be within the next month, yes. Within, okay, so pretty, sh- pretty quickly. Yes, okay. Yeah. Send me the link when you have it. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll buy it, and I'll encourage okay. other people to buy it. Absolutely. Um, if I know somebody wrote a book, I buy it. I buy it, and I read it. Because Just to see. Right. I, I know how hard it is to write a book. You know? well, like, it's a difficult thing to do. I've tried several times and not done it. Well, you, know? you have to have um, the passion. Just like anything else, you have to... Um, have uh, you know some some motivating factor? Well, I was motivated to win this contest, so that's what really got me going. <laughs> yeah, that um, living with a seal. Um, I'm trying to remember that Jesse Zitzer, whatever. Anyway, that little short book. He did the same thing. He took his blog that he wrote about his 30 days living with a seal, and he turned it into and t- a book. turned to a book. If he can yeah. do it, why not you? Right? So yeah. yeah. Well, and everyone has a book, whether it's uh, your life legacy that you want to leave to your kids. How cool is that? Yeah. So um, hopefully this is just one of um, a few that I'll end up writing. So I am currently looking at David Brooks' ideal weekly schedule, right? And this is, I would say, it's impressive. How did you come up with this? I came up with this when I was at Remax. This was... Uh, in a class, it was the black belt of mine, uh, something to that effect. And it was uh, a Ph.D. Uh, it, 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 he was just talking about um, the black belt of, you know, having a black belt mind set. And just being intentional and doing things on purpose, but having structure and having a routine. And 
the analogy that he used was big rocks. So you start with your big rocks. So he had this he had this jar, and in this jar, he put it on the table, put all these rocks in it, and then he asked the question, "How many people of you think this is full?" And then, you know, everybody's like, "Would you just put a bunch of rocks in it?" Duh. And then he and then and then he came back and put pebbles in it. Kind of shook it around, shook it around, shook it around, and then all the pebbles fell down. And then, how about now? Is it full? About half, half the class says, hey. And then, nope, came back. He put sand in it, put sand in it, shifted it around, shifted it around, shifted it around. And then he asked the same question How many of you think this is full? Well, by then, people were like, yeah, I'm not falling trick, for it anymore. Trick question, yeah. duh. <laughs> but there's still a few people who said, oh, okay, yeah, it's full. No, it wasn't. He put water in it. Yep. And put, so you may have heard this, and water went down, and boom. There, so it was like, how much can you get into your day? But start with your big rocks first. So if you notice, the the big rock for me is um, is health. I was gonna say, obviously, you it swim is. a lot, you run a it lot, is. you look like it is. you swim a lot, and you run and, a lot. And if you you know one of the and it's 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 hard to stay on a routine, but. Um, I operate so much more efficiently when I do that. Um, I feel better. I am better. I just, um, uh, I feel like I accomplish a lot more at the end of the day and I can actually walk away um, instead of just keep going and going and going and going and going. So for me, I thrive on systems and I thrive on having a pattern and a routine. I see here, 5.30 a.m., you're either running or you're swimming Almost, almost every day. Every day, yeah. you, you apparently you have one optional day where you yep. can, yeah, yep. you have some options. Yep. The Friday is optional yep. there, yep, and yeah, yeah. but everything yep. else. Exactly. And then yep. you run the breakfast, and one thing I noticed too is you set aside time to prospect. And I yep. read, I went down to the bottom. It says, "Note: I don't receive any calls in the AM. I love right. this right. during my scheduled telephone time." Right. I work with a guy in the office, and he answers inbound calls coming in when he's doing his prospecting calls, and I ignore all my inbound calls while I'm prospecting, and then when I finish right. prospecting, I right. return all the messages, right? I was happy to see I wasn't the only one who, who, who does this. And by the way, this is incredibly neat, folks, extremely well-organized, highlighted. Uh, just want people to get an idea of what we're talking about yeah, here, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you you set aside time to prospect. I do. I do. Every single every, day. Every day. And, yeah. and and that's my goal. I I get away from it. Absolutely. I mean it, it doesn't happen beings, right? clock in and clock out, but that's the reason why it's called my ideal day. So if I hit, you know, fifty or sixty percent of that, I'm a lot further ahead than where I would have been had I not had a plan at all. Absolutely. And yeah. um, you know, there's some days that I hit, you know, everything pretty much and then there's some days that sometimes um I, it, it, it just doesn't happen you know sometimes you know i might have an auction obviously that's going on all day but 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 the goal is is i know exactly what i'm doing um and once i started doing this i actually did this when i uh began prospecting the banks and i was i i had this format and this routine before i started doing reo but i really i really thrived when i did reo because this just fell in Perfect. Yeah, regimented. Yep. And then you have some goals here too. So you have daily goals, one auction proposed appointment. Yep. And then what I love, and I have to figure out a way to do this. I've tried several times and failed. 
you have some time to review daily goals free free if done too so you have an incentive if you've done them you have a couple hours free time right right and if you haven't get Met. busy right you keep review going them, yes. take a look at yep. them every day though no yep. almost no see so you got it on monday so at least once a week no review yeah you got it on wednesday yep. too man you're yep. just you're yep. serious about your yep. goals yep. what are you i mean do you mind if i ask what your goals are or well, my goals at this point, uh, um, development goals. So my wife and I, uh, going back to the downtown apartment crawl, just becoming more and more passion, uh, passionate uh, about uh, the city of Detroit and, and actually buying, um, just as in, which, which I have, but uh, not as aggressive as uh, we'd like to be. Um, so uh, investing, development, um, and then also I'm going to actually kind of kind of be more um, – of a more of a real estate consultant. So uh, I'm going to kind of kind of come back into the center uh, where I'm not going to be just doing purely auctions, uh, which is what I have done for by the last two years now, just exclusively auctions. Uh, but I'm going to be more commercial um, and development uh, broker uh, centric. And uh, so clients who um, are looking to purchase a property, develop a property, invest in Detroit. Uh, those are those are the goals that I'm 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 uh, working on. Okay, yeah. if for your, who would be your for somebody listening? Who would be your perfect? Because I know you want to go out with some go after some corporate clients, right? For your uh, auction business, who if they were listening right now, who who would they be? What would they look like? So, or if I run across them too and I refer them to you, oh, so, oh yeah, I want to know too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, some of the clients uh, now, I'm not doing as much institutional business, uh, but the number one um, influencer was was uh, back at Fannie Mae, and that was that was that was Kathy Scott. Uh, she was the one who got me approved for a second um, uh, Fannie Mae account, uh, so she was very instrumental. She helped me out very much, um, and now now I'm doing more private uh, working with more private sellers. And uh, just recently, it was uh, um, the 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 CFO of Atlas Oil uh, who allowed me to sell and auction his uh, gas stations, uh, which is cool. Yeah. Yep. So that's a big account. Yeah. Yep. So do you, do you only auction real estate, or do you auction other stuff as well? Well, I'm all real estate. You know, my my okay. background, my bit, bread and butter. Um, you know, I don't, I don't do pots and pans and, you know, I say that, but you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of successful, yeah. uh, auctioneers nothing wrong with that. You're just a real estate guy. that, that, uh, auction, um, you know, antiques and, you know, various items, you know, personal property, but I don't, I don't do personal property auctions. Um, I, uh, pretty much I'm almost exclusively online. And then when I do an auction myself, I hire a bid caller. So if I've got a live auction, um, I, I actually just subcontract that out. But so I'm, I'm online real estate, um, commercial investment properties and residential. All right. So somebody had a bunch of money and they wanted to develop some piece of land in Detroit, call you, right? Email you, do something, right? Yes. All right. Um, is there anything, uh, actually, hold on. Before I get ahead of myself here, sorry, it's getting a little noisy. Um, I know you had some. Obviously, one of your success habits is a routine you follow, 
and your big rock is your health, right? right. So every day, except for one optional day, yep. and then you break down your day in prospecting. Do you have any books, podcasts, movies, other things you recommend you, or things that have been influential in your life? The one book that changed me in business, uh, this one book written by Jim Collins, Good to Great. And I read that book in 2006. Uh, I had my Remax office. This was towards the end of me being um, in the Remax system. Um, I was starting to do REO, as I explained, and my volume was quite heavy, and so I didn't want to have the Remax office, and so I decided to merge with another Remax owner, and so I would have less management. Um, well, I, I read this book, and at the end of the week, I called everybody into uh, the conference room, you know, for a mandatory meeting. And <laughs> you're the boss. It's your office. You're coming. <laughs> and 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 um, uh, to make a long story short, there was going to be a new name, <laughs> you know, outside hanging on that shingle. Yeah. And um, so I I decided to uh, sell the company and do things differently. And there were there's three takeaways out of this book that just man I just I love it but it's, what are you the most what are you the most passionate about what can you be the best in the world at and what drives your economic engine and if you're not doing something that doesn't include all three of those items then you're doing the wrong thing uh, if you're not passionate about something we know what will happen when uh, Murphy shows up oh yeah um, if 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 things you're not, will go wrong, things will go wrong. Yep. Yep. Your yep. first auction, quick claim deeds, fifty bidders. That was a nightmare, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Right. Things will go wrong. Exactly. Things will go wrong, and so from, you know, just just using that as a blueprint. I use that as a blueprint for my decision. What are you now going forward? If I have to, if if, if I have a major decision to make, what am I the most passionate about? What drives my economic engine, and what can I be the best in the world at? And if I can't have all three of those circles intersect, then I probably don't need to do it. So that's like a litmus test for whether you should or shouldn't, right? That's a litmus test. Yeah, that comes in. If it's only one or three, gone. Two or three, yeah. gone. And if it's three or three, you consider it. And then, right, I consider yeah. it, and then... Um, you know, pursue it. And if, if, if I'm highly passionate about something, just like most people, you're going to uh, see it come, you know, to fruition. You just, you know, just, you, whatever the odds are, insurmountable odds, I mean, being a business owner, um, um, I mean, you, you know, b- being married, <laughs> you know, the statistics are not good. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. It's tough. So it, it, it's tough. So you've got to have a made up mind. Whatever it is that you you did, you've got to have a made up mind. So, um, as you said, the litmus test, if this passes the litmus test, then I know that more than likely I'm going to continue, you know, to do this endeavor. That's an excellent point. Also, I didn't want to forget, and I almost did. Um, you were talking about it, I think it was two weeks ago, about Rosa Parks' house. Yes. And, that's something that's near and dear to your heart. Apparently, they're going to work on the house, fix it up, and actually, at some point in time, turn it into a museum. Do you want to talk about that and 
talk about the link and if anybody wanted to donate or come and out and help or work or anything like that? Yes. Well, this is the Rosa Park Makeover Foundation. This is uh, being headed up by the Detroit Association of Realtors. Um, I'm, I'm a board of director, and uh, just recently uh, the association took this on as one of their projects. Uh, it was over on Beacon Street in this house that Rosa Parks uh, grew up in when she moved from Alabama to Detroit. Um, and it's, it's a house that's in disrepair, um, in like, like a lot of properties here in Detroit yet still. But to have such an iconic and, uh, uh, you know, um, individual who lived here in this house to see, you know, to point that out, well, that's where Rosa Parks used to live. <laughs> you know, um, obviously uh, that doesn't do uh, us any justice, you know, as a community. Um, and she's now she is she, she's now passed and she's gone. But um, this is just an opportunity, you know, to uh, be a good steward um, of of her, you know, take care of um, her, uh, you know, efforts and you know to be able to um, you know uh, patronize someone who has benefited all of us. It's yep. crazy to think of how brave she had to be to say, ah, "I'm not well, going to." Yeah, I'm well, just going to stay right here and. Well, it worked out for her, but there yeah, was no guarantee that that right. was going to go the way that it did. And what's interesting about that is now the bus is down in the Henry Ford uh, Museum um, down in Dearborn. So you can see the so actual, the actual bus. bus is here. Yes. Too? Yes. The actual That's bus amazing. is in Dearborn, Henry Ford um, Museum. And well, uh, they didn't want it in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> well, Assholes. They got, no, it. <laughs> they got it here. I'm sure you're fine, yeah. Alabama. Yeah. Just you and the bus is so yeah. small, but you can walk on the bus. And um, when you walk on the bus, it has like this little automatic um, uh, narrator that kicks, on, that, 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 that kicks on and talks about the history of the bus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so tiny. The bus is so tiny. Um, it, you, you know, it, people were just smaller back then, but, 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 <laughs> but it's like really neat. You can actually go and sit in the actual seat that she, um, you, you know, sat in, uh, during this bus, you, you know, this, this whole issue. And then of course, you know, the story behind that is, um, the civil rights movement was born because of this. This was, what was, is what Dr. Martin Luther King latched onto, uh, because of her character, um, and it was it was something that they could rally behind. So um, so the bus is here, um, and then so uh, the D Detroit Association of, uh, Association uh, of Realtors wants to take care of this house. So just um, just part of our responsibility. Yeah, send me the link, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes. Anybody wants to donate, that'd be awesome. Yep, I will. And I, will. I just want to tie it in too. I guess Rosa Parks had a made up mind too, right? For whatever reason that day, she had made up her mind, or that previous night, or whatever. Her mind was made up, and that was just going to be the way it was. Her so mind was made up. It's kind of tied back in. Yeah. Right. Nothing changes unless somebody has a made up mind, right? Right. For better or worse, hopefully for better. Right. I always just think of how brave you had to be because that had to be just terrifying. I shake. I, I don't even like to talk bad about politicians, you know, let alone do something like that. Yeah. So. Well, she was interviewed uh, later, and she was asked, Rosa, you know, Rosa Parks. Why did you not give your seat up? Her response was, I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, you know what? I, I get it. Yeah. Tired. I guess more one way, too, probably, right? right? She was tired. Good for her. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Just being passionate about Detroit 
this is a city that's being born again. Detroit is very iconic, well-known internationally. This is the birthplace of the automobile um, in terms of the, ma- the mass production, um, you, you know, Ford, Henry Ford producing, um, you know, the, the Model T right down the road, which that building also, believe it or not, fell into disrepair. And what's vacant as well. Crazy, now, isn't it? And now that's being uh, restored um, as uh, um, a museum. And it's, it's where the first Model T was uh, mass produced. Uh, so, so that's on Woodward. That's in Highland Park. Uh, and then the Ford, the, the Ford Paquette plant is another um, interesting building that uh, Ford owned. And uh, that was their first headquarters. So that uh, building on Woodward should end up looking like the Fort Paquette. You can Google uh, Fort Paquette, and you can see um, the inside of that building. It's going to be kind of similar. Uh, they're going to have a lot of nice old, uh, automobiles, stuff like that. But that's just one example. We could go on and on and on and on about the city of Detroit. So this is the birthplace of the Industrial uh, Revolution um, You know, for not only the automobile, but there's just a lot of inventors. Um, have lived here in Detroit. Um, you know, you think of Detroit, it's like um, we're the arsenal. We were the arsenal of democracy back during World War II. Uh, we manufactured uh, a lot of things um, that helped the Allies win the war. So Detroit is just such an iconic city. Um, unfortunately, uh, just as, you know, a lot of cities fall into disrepair, so did Detroit. Um, even during the height of the automobile industry, things were actually just changing at that time. So as uh, Detroit had the number one median income uh, for household income in the United States yeah. in 1959. You probably know some of these At some point, that, it was the richest city in the world. Like one yes. third of America's GDP was like, it was crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Yes. It was all the, like the Silicon Valley of the but, early 1900s, you know, it was yes. just crazy. But the city is being born again. And it's sustainable, uh, but it's with a different vision. Yeah, um, there's demand. There, and, there and is dem- there's it's demand. It's growing demand, yeah. too. And Occupancy rate here in downtown Detroit is, you can't find anything. It's, it's virtually 99%. So there's about 5,000 apartments coming online. That's probably not going to be um, enough. You know, the owner of this building, uh, he's, he's doing the plaza. He's doing the Griswold. Um, and, and he's doing the other one that was just announced. Um, well, it's, it's a hotel. He's doing a hotel that, that won't have apartments, but, um, yeah, just, just, uh, uh, the demand, this insatiable pent up demand is now, you know, being satisfied. Uh, and there's no slowdown in sight. No. And a lot of people that are paying cash too. So that's how I know it's not all BS too. The loans are still relatively difficult to get and a lot of people are paying cash because it's yeah it's changed a lot in the last year and a half two years but it wasn't always easy to buy condos and stuff down here a lot of people just went i'm in exactly exactly put their push their gold into the middle of the table and they moved to detroit so there there is demand and you're one of them yep i i did it i didn't we didn't quite make it downtown we're out there at uh where you know where the old redford theater is the, the old Redford, yeah, the old Red, yeah. We live about three blocks away okay, from there. Okay. So, well, and when I moved from Grand Rapids, Michigan, it was twenty twenty ten. I started doing business here, so I drew I drove back and forth for two years, 
uh, in 10 and 11, and then I bought a condo in Novi. I thought it was just, I was like, that's brilliant. I live in Grand Rapids. Pick one right in the middle. Yeah, I can be a nobody, you know. <sighs> I just thought I was a genius, right? <laughs> well, it was good for, for my REO business, um, but then I quickly realized, um, you know, the city, I, I wasn't doing that much in the city at that point. Uh, it was all in the suburbs. Then I, then, then I still didn't get the memo because I ended up buying over in Bloomfield Hills at Woodward and Square. Then, then I became more involved in downtown Detroit, became a member of the Detroit Athletic Club, and I got this property assignment in um, the, uh, is on Jefferson and Joseph Campo, which is in the Garden Court, if you're familiar with the Garden Court building. Very, we were going to buy a condo there in 2007. So Wells Fargo had a property that they sent to me, and it had an unpaid balance of $285,000, um, the mortgager defaulted. And this uh, particular condo got caught up in, 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 into the robo-signing issue. So they had to reforeclose on it, make sure they, you know, uh, had all their I's dotted, all their T's crossed, and it sat for two and a half years. So I got this assignment in 2013. It's crazy. And I don't know, but it, it was vacant for a couple, you know, two and a half years. And so, um, you know, as an REO agent, you know, you get the, you get the property, you know, you do your... Um, research, you look up your tax information so you know where you're going. So I go, I go down to the property and no one was there. So I put a notice in the, you know, on the door inside the building on the condo. Well, I get back to Grand Rapids and I get a phone call. And the phone call uh, was, was some, from someone who's very well known here in uh, the Detroit market. And my receptionist said, uh, Dennis Archer's on the phone. I'm like, Dennis Archer? Why is Dennis Archer calling me? Well, uh, I answered the phone and said, hey, sir, how you doing? He's like, don't call me, sir. This is Junior. Well, it was, it was the um, – Dennis Archer Jr. is the son of the former mayor of uh, the city of Detroit. Yep. So uh, Dennis Archer Sr., he was very instrumental in starting um, the uh, rebirth and the resurrection of, uh, the, re- and, uh, of the revitalization of Detroit. Um, so, so, so anyway, going back to the story of the Garden Court um, – by the time that I got there, great story with this uh, unit, by the way. It's on the sixth floor overlooking um, the river, so it's, it's, it's facing the Canadian side. That's a perfect, that's where you want to be. Unobstructed view of, oh my gosh. That wasn't uh, available when the, we wanted The skyline, there, you've yeah. got the Detroit skyline, you've got the Detroit River. Well, you couldn't get financing back then. This was still in 2013. It was yeah, hard. Yeah, you were paying cash. Everybody, so guess what? All the sales were cash sales. So when I comped this property out, the best that I could really come up with was like 110. That's nuts. How many square feet was that? This was about 1,800 square feet. Oh, I think man. it was even, from my recollection, it was a little a larger than that. Bargain. But we're talking about, you know, 12, you know, the, uh, you know, 12, 15 foot ceilings, hardwood floors. Gorgeous. That whole Just building's gorgeous. The whole, it, it's, it's, and it was, it's registered um, as a national historic site. So it's in the national registry, this building is. So anyway, um, but as I'm comping this out, properties are going on the market as we speak. Buck seventy five, hundred seventy five thousand dollars. They're selling cash. I'm like, oh my gosh! I should have, I should have cash. Yep. I should have been downtown all alone. Yeah. And so I put my house on the market. Um, I met the developer of this building, and he reserved. Uh, it was just 
good timing. He reserved a place for me here. Uh, he said, you know, you can't buy them, you can't buy it yet, but after the tax credits fall off this building, we'll get our option, you know, so we'll have the right of first refusal before anybody else to buy. Um, this is already set up as condo. The, the, the whole building is condo. Uh, the uh, the um, third floor to the eighth floor is the hotel, and then the ninth through the 18th floor are all the residences. And... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a tour. Um, I won't be able to do it today, but uh, during the downtown apartment crawl, we're going to yeah. have we're going to have it open. I'll come. I'll be awesome. Austin, thank you, David. I really appreciate coming out today. I want to thank my guest for his time, and I do want to encourage you to check out what he's working on. All these links will be in the show notes. Go to LinkedIn.com forward slash and forward slash David Brooks the third. That's three eyes, and of course, last bid real estate dot com. June 14th, two properties going to sale. The one on Pennsylvania Road, absolute auction. It is going to be sold. These links are in the show notes. The former Department of Transportation building, 25185 Goddard, Taylor, Michigan, online. That's on the 14th. And on the 15th, two gas stations, one Sunoco, one Marathon, one in Flint, one in Flushing, all in the show notes. And if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, Give it a like, share it, and another shout out to the 13 folks who rated this on iTunes. I really appreciate it. I know what a pain in the ass it is to do on iTunes, too. I don't understand how the phone works so fucking great, but they can't figure out how to make the ratings a little easier. It's crazy. So thank you. Um, if you have any comments or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending uh, the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors or go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Jeremy Burgess and YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do, I know I do it every week, take a moment to encourage you, take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know. I know there are a lot of distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits that may prevent you from starting or continuing with your goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer, even if it's one step. And I want to thank you for listening. I know you can be doing lots of other things right now. I value your attention. And until the next podcast, crush it.